Amen. So <clears throat> if you can follow me, great. Uh, if not, maybe you just want to write the references down. Um, I've told a number of you over the years, <clears throat> if you ever want my notes, I almost always have them electronically so I can print them off for you <clears throat> if you need Firestarter or you know something like that. Um, Luke chapter 11 is where I'm going to begin at verse 9. Uh, it says, Jesus speaking, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So at Christmas, you know, we're focused a lot on the giving and the receiving of gifts, especially here in America. And I was just thinking about the whole Christmas message and, you know, do we talk again about Jesus' birth? Do I just read from Matthew or, you know, relay what Luke had to say? And, you know, it came to mind, <clears throat> you know, what is Christmas all about? And, you know, people say that, but <clears throat> if we really think about it, uh, Adam and Eve, as the, you know, chief representatives of the entire human race, uh, betrayed us all. We would have done the same thing, but uh, they were given the choice uh, to obey God or disobey him, and they disobeyed. And that plunged the entire human race into sin and separated us from that intimate relationship with God. From that moment forward, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, has been working on trying to restore. And I don't mean repair, I mean restore that relationship. Bring it back to what the Lord intended. You can see that in, you know, bringing Abraham in as his, you know, child and creating the nation Israel out of him. You can see that uh, through the processes of the religion and all that the Jews believed in. Uh, the symbol of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in all of the sacrifices the lambs that were being slain, the same way Jesus was going to be slain, all the way up until Jesus' arrival. God becomes a man, dwells on earth as the man Jesus. Humanity hates him uh, simply out of jealousy and bitterness, and they kill him. He allows it because if we will accept his death on our behalf, we were all going to die and go to hell. So eternal death is what we were going to experience. Uh, the Lord intervenes and says, if you'll accept Jesus' death on your behalf, if you believe you're a sinner, you were headed to hell, Jesus came, took your place, you can have eternal life. So resurrected from the dead, he ministers to the believers and he says to them that he's going to have to leave and send the Holy Spirit. So that Holy Spirit causes us to be children of God. Listen to a couple of things here. In Ephesians chapter 1, 
looking at verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the gift, eternal life, you know, presence of the Lord, what are, what, you know, what do we have as far as the promise and the knowledge that we're going to receive that? According to the scripture, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, if you uh, have ever put a down payment on something, that's the idea of this guarantee that's uh, spoken of here, the seal that's spoken of here. Uh, when I asked my wife uh, to marry me, I went to a small jeweler in Keene, New Hampshire, and I found this perfect little ring. And um, I put it on layaway and gave them you know, $100 and uh, started making those weekly payments, every paycheck, until I had paid the ring off. Uh, those engagement rings uh, come from where young men would go to the father of a young woman and say, I want to marry the daughter. And if he was given permission, he would give a dowry, a sum of money. That was a guarantee that he was going to marry that young woman. She could hope and trust in that. No young man is going to come along and put down a substantial amount of money if his intention isn't to follow through. Uh, the Holy Spirit is that deposit in our lives that we have been purchased by Jesus Christ to be his children, to be his bride someday. So in Galatians, another supporting verse, chapter 5, looking at verse 22, uh, what is the evidence that we have this, right? Because we, oh, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, some of us have been in churches and had experiences where people claim that they're demonstrating the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we're left thinking, well, that was just really embarrassing. That was really startling. I don't know what that was all about, uh, but it certainly didn't do anything to cause us to be stronger as a believer or draw us closer to the Lord. So the Lord gives us this definition in the scripture, telling us what that Holy Spirit is going to look like in our lives. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, a little bit of explanation. The first thing is that it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, you might want to make note of this somewhere in your Bible. 
everything that follows love is a description of that love. That's the way the Greek language works here. It isn't that you're going to have love. Maybe also joy. Maybe also peace. Maybe also patience, right? You know, some people try to say, well, I have a lot of patience, but I don't have a lot of love. Doesn't work. The Holy Spirit and the love he generates in us, all of these things that follow are adjectives of that love, which is descriptive of the Holy Spirit. So if you've been in churches and people tell you, well, the evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is that you're going to do this strange supernatural thing, okay? Some of those things, speaking in tongues, prophesying, are listed in the scripture. And we could have a more detailed conversation about those in another Bible study. But the one evidence that is going to be present in the life of any person who has surrendered themselves to God and received the Holy Spirit is love. Now, the love, according to Jesus, that we're going to see, two parts. It's going to have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But the two areas where that love is going to be directed is, first of all, going to be towards the Lord. You're going to have a desire for the Lord. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a desire for the things of God. You're going to have a desire to read the Bible. You're going to have a desire to go to church. You're going to have a desire to sing songs of praise. Even if you sing out of tune, you're going to have the desire to sing. You're going to have the desire to share your faith with others. Because that love reproduces. It shares the faith with others and they become those who are children of God and filled with the Holy Spirit. So as far as the gift we can receive at Christmas, this is the gift that God brought humanity. We destroy the relationship. He restores the relationship. He comes, dies on our behalf, and if we accept it, eternal life, and that deposit of the Holy Spirit in our heart, which produces all of these things. If you're thinking to yourself, I've been trying to produce that in my life as a Christian for years now. My encouragement to you this morning is, give up. Let the Holy Spirit produce it in your life. Right? If you're trying to do it, hey, we've all seen maybe online the Pinterest fails. Aren't those a beautiful thing? Right? Somebody saw a professional, you know, online, make some magnificent cake, and they set out to do it themselves. And there's this mound of mangled who-knows-what that's practically inedible, and it's, you know, humorous to see. That's kind of what we're doing. We see in others the work of the Holy Spirit and say, i got to get some of that going on. So then we try to develop love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness. And we fail somewhere along the way, early on, or somewhere further down the road. It's a gift. It's a gift. Now, let me just say this. Every one of you has received that gift. In that, the Lord has paid for it, and He has sent that Spirit, 
And if you've asked, it's in your heart, right? Have, have you ever received a gift at Christmas and it was so small? Or maybe at the time you even thought it insignificant and it was sometime later, days, weeks, months, years, and oh my goodness, there it is. And you put it to use, right? The gift card that was down behind, the thing that was unseen or the tool you didn't recognize its usefulness for. Later, it becomes useful. The Holy Spirit has been given to the whole human race. There's much of the human race that never opens it, never touches it, never uses it. There's much of the church that does the same thing. They try in their own effort. They try to produce it themselves. We need to surrender. We need to give in. We need to obey the Holy Spirit and what he's leading us to do. Obedience is key, right? Holy Spirit prompts you, and you think, no, I prefer this rather than this act of obedience. Then the Holy Spirit's not going to produce all of this following in your life. So that love for the Lord and the desire for those things I just listed will change you. And you'll see these things produced in your life. And then the next place that love is administered is to your neighbors as yourself. Those around you love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The gift given to us produces love for God, which produces love for our fellow human beings. This, this is the greatest gift ever given in all of the history of the universe. Jesus Christ's person, his person inside us, living out his life. I said recently to a group that I was teaching a class with, you know, God doesn't need your personality. God doesn't need, you know, me. He needs an empty vessel that he can pour his spirit into that it would come out and minister to others. You know, that's, I think I said it last week, that's what I'm hoping to do, praying to do every week when I stand here. Just allow the Lord to speak through me and say what he wants to say. So we, filled with the Spirit, given that gift, should have these things in our lives. Now, notice at the end of Galatians 5, verse 25, I've already read it. I want to review. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, right? You shouldn't be able to look at a believer's life that says, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and recognize that's not the Holy Spirit. That's, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. You know, there's something wrong with your behavior. It doesn't line up with it. Then also, let us not become conceited. First of all, right? <clears throat> well, I'm just so far above the rest of you because... I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what he's talking about. I'm conceited. You know, you're going to be filled with the Spirit, but now somehow within the church, you're conceited. I'm so filled with the Spirit. I serve more than any of you. That would be ridiculous. Yet we see it, don't we? Those that have an attitude about being better than others based upon their faith. You know, we, 
that have surrendered to Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, recognize more and more every day. Every individual we see around us is just a person, regardless of how low they are. They're just a person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit in their life. Had they, you know, the Holy Spirit and reach its ultimate fulfillment, it was C.S. Lewis that said, if I were to see every person filled to their full potential with the Holy Spirit, as you know, they will be in the presence of the Lord, he said, I would be tempted to fall down and worship them. Why do we think better of ourselves, right? Without the Holy Spirit, we're all just a bunch of losers headed for hell. That's what we are. If we're something better than that, because we're believers, then that's really the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not my credit or your credit. It's a credit of the Lord. There's no room for conceit. You know, provoking one another. You know, through that conceit, provoking one another. You know, acting, saying things that would cause someone else to feel diminished or, you know, lesser somehow. Envying one another, right? That's what it's going to produce. If I, you know, would provoke people with my arrogance and conceit, then they're going to turn around and be envious, jealous, and angry. The Holy Spirit isn't going to produce that. That's not, you know, if if we have produced those things through our Christian behavior, let me just submit to us all: that wasn't the work of the Holy Spirit. This gift given to us only produces the joyous things listed previously. Now, let's look at something else. You can turn, perhaps, to John 16. I'm going to dwell here for a little bit. And uh, we'll examine something Jesus said regarding all of this. Luke 16, verse 5. The ESV should be pretty close to what you're reading. John 16, verse 5. Now, I'm going to him... Who sent me, Jesus said. So he's speaking of himself going to God. He knows he's going to die, resurrected, and then he's going to ascend to the Father. So he's telling the apostles that he's going to God. Now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, which is referring to the Holy Spirit, will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine 
and declare it to you. It's better for believers if Jesus leaves the world so that he can send the Holy Spirit. You read the life and ministry of Jesus and you can be left thinking like, wow, that would have been a cool thing to experience. That would have been really something to, to see Jesus walk on water, to see Jesus feed thousands of people, to see Jesus you know, resurrected from the dead, healing the lepers, giving sight to the blind. That would have been really something to, to be able to go and see the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, when you come to the writings of Luke and Luke and Acts, <clears throat> he tells us that uh, he's going to relay everything that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Began both to do and teach. I say it that way because often people refer to the time where Jesus was on the earth as the time where Jesus did his work and his ministry. And it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of what Jesus began to do on the earth. Because when he leaves, he then sends his Holy Spirit to whoever will believe in him, and that work continues to this day. The life of the believer will contain the continuous work of Jesus Christ. If you're thinking, well, I mean, come on, raising the dead, yes. There are those miracles where believers have been raised back to life. An example, this nation is here today because of the work of one minister, one pastor. His name was William Tennant. William Tennant was the preacher who was preaching to early Americans and training the ministers that were preaching to early Americans that inspired men. George Washington was his contemporary. Washington, hearing these messages from Tenet and those ministers that he trained, which, which was remarkable because any pastor that ministered according to the laws needed to be trained in Europe. You had to be a licensed preacher in order to go out and minister in the public in those days. And to have that license, you had to go back to Europe and be trained. Tenet understood none of these poor farm boys that love the Lord are ever going to raise the money and be capable of going back to Europe. So he began to train them right here. And the European colleges hated him for it. They mocked him. Tenet just took homes and log cabins and started having classes at 5 o'clock in the morning teaching Greek and Hebrew and taking men through the scripture and showing them the truth of God's word. The European colleges mocked Tenet and referred to his classes as the log colleges because they were in log homes. His son was working with him, but not particularly excited about the ministry. Like what I was describing earlier, he was sort of plugging along and doing what he knew had to be done. He got very sick, and he died. He laid in wait, they kept him in a barn, 
For three days, they were waiting for family to arrive, and they were going to bury him. His body actually began to decompose. He started to smell horrible. Okay? Three days later, he sat up and came back to life and began to breathe again and joined his father in the ministry, preaching and teaching fellow ministers here in America. That had a very dramatic effect upon the body of Christ. And it resulted in men such as Washington and many like him understanding, no, we need to establish a nation right here, free from the tyrannical rule of that king who will tell us how to worship and what to worship and when to worship. And so we declared our independence and we became a nation. It was the pilgrims and it was also what they refer to as that great awakening here in America. Resurrection was part of that. Talk to some of the missionaries that go to India today and the resurrections that occur there. Now, the things that we don't see. Why? The church in America is dead, if you haven't noticed. It's dying more and more every day. We're becoming a rarer and rarer breed, if, if that's actually the way to say that. The Holy Spirit working in our lives is going to produce the same things that it produced in Jesus' life. And everyone, it's way better, you guys. It's way better if all of us are filled with the Spirit than to just have Jesus in one location at one time. Everybody's got to get to that one location. This is specifically what Jesus is saying. It's way better for you if I send the Holy Spirit to you. Way better for the whole human race if I go to the Father and send the Spirit. Right? If we could have the greatest earthly possession distributed to all of us so that we could then give it to everyone else that we ran into, that would be the greatest gift ever given to humanity. That's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Our enemy works against us. Doesn't want that distributed. Doesn't want other people to know. The greatest way that our enemy works to stop the gift from being distributed is through discouragement. Discouragement produces doubt. Doubt is the enemy of faith. Right? Faith is believing. Even when we can't see or understand. We read, we know, we understand what God has said. And then we take those steps out into the invisible. Into the unknown. Knowing. I've experienced this and heard this and been taught this. That leads me to know I can take these steps and believe. I'm here this morning based upon those. Not, not just in the coming down here, 2003, to begin a home Bible study in Conger Murray's home, but also through the years and the hardships, challenges, and difficulties to remain right here. Faith, right? When things get bad and somebody's saying to you, you know, I can offer you a much better opportunity. You'll have to walk away from that commitment to the Lord. But over here, you'll be able to experience all of this goodness. Very tempting to just throw in the towel and walk away. Very tempting, isn't it? The act of faith is knowing, no, God has called me to this. God has told me what to do. And I'm going to follow that. I'm, I'm going to obediently step out into what the Lord 
has called me to and provided for me. Listen to what he says here. A little while, verse 16, you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me again. You might want to make note of that. It is particularly important. I'm going away. I'm going to send a helper. You won't see me, but a little while you're going to see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Now, in verse 20, where it begins by saying, Truly, truly. you got to really get that ingrained in your mind. Uh, to think about it, um, it's the most urgent way Jesus can say to you, you need to pay attention. You know, it's the idea of truly, like, like truly. You know, he, he's trying to drill it across. You know, here, here's God in the flesh. Anything that comes out of his mouth is going to be true. You're not going to have to worry about that. But when God in the flesh says truly, like truly, He's trying to get them to stop and listen to what follows. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice when he leaves. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. He gives a little illustration here, 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow. All of the mothers in the room said, amen. Yeah, okay. So she has sorrow. It's a tremendous pain. But your sorrow will turn into joy. Right, mothers? Your sorrow turns into joy. When a woman is giving birth. Sorrow because of her hour that has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for Joy that a human being has been born into the world. We have that example right here this morning. The joy of that little life amongst us. The human being that has been brought into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. And that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now, when we began this study, right, we talked about the fact that the Heavenly Father wants to give us the Holy Spirit. He wants to give us that gift so that here our joy might be full. Now, now let's talk about joy again. Right? We say joy to the world. 
the Lord has come. We sing the song. Uh, joy is very different than happiness. I hope we understand that. If, if you've never thought of it that way before, you really need to ingrain this understanding in your mind. Uh, happiness is so conditional, is it not? Right? I mean, maybe you, you know, are going to come and say, you know, to me, oh, I got this terrible thing going on and I'm just deeply in financial trouble and is there any way you can help me out? And I say, well, what are your needs? And you give me this list and we come to the $10,000. And I say, you know what? No problem. Let me, let me take care of that. And I just write you a check with no hesitation for $10,000. And I give it to you. And your heart's filled with happiness. You just, I can't believe, my troubles. And he just gave me $10,000. It's crazy. Until you try to cash the check. Because I don't have $10,000. <clears> right? Your, your happiness is going to plummet. And it's going to pass right through sadness. Right? And end somewhere in rage. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anger and hostility. You know, lied and manipulated and just why left me in a bed and now I'm hurt and I'm in worse shape. It's crazy. Right. Happiness, happiness is conditional. Circumstances can make you very, very happy. And on the turn of a dime, you are suddenly plunged into a place where there's no happiness whatsoever. Joy is very different. Joy can't be quenched at all. Right? I'll tell you what, children and grandchildren produce a lot of joy in my life. Regardless of how challenging circumstances are, one of those little faces comes running at you, calling your name, and you get to just pick them up and live in the simplicity of that relationship. That'll just wash everything right away. The joy that comes from that, now there's happiness involved. Joy. Joy of the Lord, very different. Can't be extinguished, right? Those little children, as much joy as they bring, they can also be, you know, pretty demonic at times, too. Crazy little kids, just joy. There's some happiness in there. You can overlook even the negativity for the joy that's there. That should help you understand there's nothing in the Lord that ever turns and changes. There's nothing in the Lord that is good and then bad. This is what James means when he says in chapter 1, there's no shadow of turning in him. Not even the faintest hint. Bright white light, you know, if you describe it that way. Oh, little gray, little, no. Pure, unadulterated. He produces joy in us. The people that have learned to rely upon this have been put through the most severe of difficulties throughout history, right? I often, when describing this, think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those of you that know that old Sunday school story, right? Thrown into the fiery furnace. I mean, you can love the boldness of their faith, but it isn't in the exiting of the furnace alive that their joy is there. They're looking Nebuchadnezzar in the face as they're about to be thrown into the furnace, and they're saying, you know what, pal? Either way this turns out, we're going to be delivered from you. We don't have to deal with you anymore. 
We're either going to be delivered through the fire or by the fire. We'll be incinerated and not have to listen to you anymore and put up with you anymore and be in the presence of the Lord. Or the Lord's going to deliver us through the fire and then you're going to have to shut your mouth. They bind them up tightly and they throw them in the furnace. The men who threw them into the furnace were consumed with the flames and died themselves. In the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar looks in at those three men and suddenly sees four. And he makes the declaration. The fourth one looks like the Son of God. He looks like divinity with them. He calls to them. They walk out of the furnace. The only thing that has been burned up the ropes that they were bound in. They don't even smell like the fire. Joy. Unchanging joy. The knowledge of God has us in his hand. Now, Though he slay me, Job said, yet will I praise him. Whatever the challenge is, when we're truly relying upon the Lord, that Holy Spirit that he promised, that he gave, the down payment, fills our heart with a joy that cannot be erased. You may sink for a moment, but the remembrance, the remembrance of Christ's work will raise you right up out of that. It will deliver you from it. That statement in verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, hey, John chapter 1, verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The birth process that the Holy Spirit brings us through, right? Jesus said, if you're going to be saved, you're going to have to be born again. The child of God, the difficulty we go through in following the Holy Spirit, the birth of that child that comes out the other side. That's an irreplaceable joy. In our own lives, it produces joy in us for the salvation. This gift, the Holy Spirit, that produces a child of God. Greatest gift. Another consideration along that same line, Romans chapter 8, looking at verse 19 to begin, says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, emptiness, not willingly, it didn't want to, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All of creation is looking forward to this being birthed out into God's glorious plan where the kingdom of God is on earth and we no longer have to experience this. So all of creation will be experiencing it. We often say the lion will lie down with the lamb. It's a slightly misquoted uh, statement from the prophets. It's, it literally tells us that the wolf will lie down with the lamb that the lion will eat grass like the ox. You know, they won't be even be killing, the animal kingdom won't even be killing one another anymore. We, we won't have to experience any of this sorrow. The, the earth will yield its fruitfulness in a way we've not ever seen. All of creation is longing 
for that day. If you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit, then you already have this promise in your heart and you long all the more for the day where that will be fulfilled. Right? Here's a thought. This is what all of humanity is trying to do right now in trying to save the earth. Right? I don't know if you're aware of it. The earth is doomed. It's doomed. That's not my opinion. I'm not looking out the window or watching the news and thinking, ah, it's over. I haven't thrown in the towel prematurely, right? God is the author of all of history, and he tells us this earth is going to be destroyed. I looked, and behold, a new heaven and a new earth, for the old earth had passed away, gone, incinerated, burned up, rolled up like a scroll, the scripture says. Now, we should be the ones, as believers, who take the best care of this planet. Don't get me wrong. I'm not promoting some kind of neglect and abuse. But the idea of hanging on to this earth as though this was going to be heaven. Short-sighted. Short-sighted. What the Lord has in store for us in the future eclipses all of this. Completely. You know, moderate temperature everywhere. No severity of climate. That bums me right out. No skiing. Oh, well. I'll be able to stand in the presence of the Lord and experience His fulfillment, right? Skiing only brings happiness to me, not joy. There are things like that in your life. If you're holding on to this earth, like, oh, you can't take the earth away. I love this experience here. That is so small in comparison to what the Lord has in store for us. Being born again as a child of God, and this hope that is placed in our heart, right? That's the deposit. It's just the deposit. It's not the fulfillment of the whole thing. It's the promise that there's more to come, right? Make the payments on the engagement ring. Receive the engagement ring. Ask the beautiful young woman if she'll marry me. Oh, she agrees. Now, the down payment until the day of the wedding. Stand there, say our vows, and we belong to one another. We will be before the Lord someday. It'll be face to face. The relationship won't be with just the deposit in our heart and the longing for the someday. It will be in the fulfillment of all of these things. 16.22, so you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again, Jesus said, right? I will see you again. Now, the first fulfillment of that is in the coming of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. He sends his Holy Spirit there, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They preach the gospel. 3,000 people come into the faith that day and the church is born. And here we are, right, nearly 2,000 years later and it's still thriving. The church continues. That's certainly that helper that he told us he was going to send. But that helper, the Holy Spirit, the church being created, that's still only a promise of what is to come. I'm going to close with this. Whatever translation you have, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Many of you have this memorized. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, looking at verse 13. Here the, Paul, the Apostle Paul says to the church at Thessalonica that he doesn't 
want them to be uninformed, right? The uh, King James says ignorant, meaning that they have no understanding. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now, before we move on, that was a term that the Christians immediately started adopting regarding death in the first 100 years of the church because they held to the belief and held to the hope that Jesus Christ was going to resurrect those who had died from the dead. So they looked at it in light of they're not actually dead. You know, yes, they're dead and their spirit is in the presence of the Lord, but the Lord is going to come and call to them that they would be resurrected from the grave, right? Now, those of us that have studied the scripture know the occasion of when Lazarus had died and Jesus comes and calls to Lazarus in the grave four days after he's passed away and says, Lazarus, come forth. He calls to him, right? Many preachers, I don't, I'm just think it's maybe humor, but many preachers insist that Jesus had to specifically say, Lazarus, come forth. Because his resurrection power, if he had stood there in that graveyard and simply said, come forth, everybody might have just showed up. Instead, Lazarus, come forth, and he resurrects him from the dead. So they hold to this idea of they're just asleep, like Lazarus, left his body in the presence of the Lord, called back, re-enters his body, recreated, restored, comes back. Hey! We've all got people who have passed on. Amen? Hopefully, they are those that pass on in the Lord, and we long for and hope for the day where we will see them face to face again. They're asleep, is what Paul is saying, in the body. They're awake in the spirit, but they will be reunited and restored. Don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We have the hope. They don't. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep, right? So they're not, as some falsely teach, in a state of soul sleep. They're awake in life with Christ, and he's going to bring them with him. So I declare to you that they've you know, going to bring those who have fallen asleep. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. So this is directly from the Lord is what Paul is saying. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Resurrection, the presence of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. I'm going to leave you, Jesus is saying. You won't see me for a little while, but I'll be back. You'll see me again, right? Peter tells us, you guys, 
that we should not be deceived, the same as what Paul says here, you should not be uninformed. Peter says, I don't want you to be uninformed. A thousand years is like a day to the Lord, and a day is like a thousand years. We look at it like, good grief. Jesus ascended back into heaven almost 2,000 years ago. Here he is saying a little while, and I'll come back to you. Yeah, on his time clock, on his economy. He's going to come back shortly. I can tell you right now, that's much closer to us than it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ's return is at hand. He teaches that sermon, uh, on, you know, on Matthew chapter 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse. Uh, he, he's telling us, when you see all of these things, know that I'm at the door. Right? My mother-in-law is coming up for uh, Christmas. She's arriving today. I was up at, what, 12 o'clock last night vacuuming the whole house and putting things away and organizing, right? That's because she's coming today. Right? When she's at the door, that's not the time for me to be vacuuming. Because she's at the door. Jesus is telling us, when you see, right, famine, pestilence, starvation, earthquakes, various places, war, rumors of war. The world's never seen all of those things like it's seeing them right now. I'm telling you, I'm not. this isn't a guess. Maybe you've heard it so many times, you're like, I've heard that all my life. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, all of those things on the table right now, Jesus is at the door. Right? Not time to be vacuuming, you know, cleaning up. That should already be done. Jesus is at the door. The gift of the Holy Spirit is yours. That's what makes us a child of God. Open the gift. Open the gift. If you've received him and you are a child of God, open the gift. Let the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control be your person. Stop the resistance, surrender to him, and allow your heart to be filled with that gift. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, you are so good to us. Such a good father. Help us, Lord. Help us that we would follow you. Fulfill your will in our lives, Lord. And I we know you want to. We know you try to. So often the problem is our resistance. We just sidestep you. We just follow after ourselves. Be it ever so briefly, it produces such negative things. Lord, forgive us. Strengthen us. Fulfill us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.